Well, God is good. Uh, we're going to the book of uh, Exodus today, and we'll be in chapter 3. Uh, verse 11 is where we're going to start today. And um, I just want to give us some review because we've been talking about uh, Moses, uh, the making of a champion, and how God just has a path for all of us to become the warriors and champion that he wants us to be. Um, I also want to just say uh, next week, I'm going to deviate from Moses just for a bit because I want to talk about communion next Sunday. Next Sunday is communion Sunday. And uh, I just want to spend some time with us around the altar, uh, around communion, that we're going to just spend some time, some quality time around the communion table and just talk about that. So uh, next week, come prepared. Uh, we're, probably what I'm going to do is just sing uh, one song, I'm going to get into the sermon, and then we're going to worship and then come into the communion part of it. So I uh, just encourage you on that. So we started out in Exodus uh, chapter 1, and we were talking about what Egypt was like 3,500 years ago. And the Bible gives us a little history lesson that there was a guy named Pharaoh, and uh, he was a bad dude, and he you know did a lot of things to uh, mess up a lot of people, and you know especially the Jews, uh, he did not like the Jews, and so he uh, started uh, He started making them slaves. Uh, if you go to Egypt now, there's all these temples and buildings and uh, archa architectural things, and I asked the guide one time when I was in, um, in Egypt, I said, so who uh, put all these things together? And, you know, I'm pretty sure it's the Jewish people that built a lot of this stuff. And he goes, oh, yeah, you know, our engineers and our people did it. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. It was under the backs of the Jewish people that you, they, uh, a lot of this stuff was built. And so there was, there was slavery. Then there was genocide. He tried to get the midwives to uh, kill the babies. They wouldn't do it. Uh, there was state-sponsored murder after that. Just throw them into the Nile River. And, um, and then the midwives, I like what was said about them. It says, God says, you know, or they say, I would rather obey God than man. And uh, that really impressed me, is that, you know what, no matter what, I'd rather obey God than men. And, and as I've said every week, and God gave them families. I don't know, that just, for some reason, that is just a tender, tender moment for me right there. And then in week two, we talked about God's plan, how he wove everything together. Every detail was under God's control, the king's edict, the uh, baby, you know, Moses said it was a beautiful baby. Uh, the mother's plan to save him by putting an ark in the river, uh, the baby's cry, the daughter's compassion, um, the sister of Moses, the wise suggestion that she would get a Hebrew nurse to a mom to nurse the baby, uh, the agreement between two moms, and then all of it is woven together. And I just, I think when we look at our story, okay, when you look back on your story, God weaves everything together and it just comes together and it's a... Uh, a beautiful theme. And then uh, we begin to talk about the wilderness. Uh, Moses is uh, kind of uh, sent out into the wilderness for 40 years. And uh, we le learned three lessons during that time. One, don't get ahead of God. How many of you in this room ever get ahead of God? And two, you need to serve where God puts you. And then thirdly is that you need to trust in God's plan. It's kind of hard to see sometimes. Um, it's kind of interesting, I was reading something the other night, that in geometry, the closest, um, uh, quickest way from point A to point B is in a straight line. 
But with God, the quickest place from point A to point B is zigzag. You know, so God sent, you know, Moses zigzag into the wilderness for 40 years before he would be ready. But that was the thing that God wanted to do to get him ready to bring the people out of captivity. And I just want to say this. Your desert experience is preparing you for what God wants to do in your life. And some of you think, well, why am I going through such a desert experience? And God says, you know what? I'm preparing you for what I want to do in your life. And I think that's a powerful thing today. Um, and then last week we talked about, you know, the burning bush. And um, we said four things about it. It was just an ordinary day. It was an extraordinary bush. It was then, you know, it was on fire, but it wasn't on fire. There was a personal call that took place where God called him Moses, Moses. And then he, I don't know if you remember this word. He said this word, the Hebrew word is hineni. Hineni. Say it again, hineni. And it means, yes, Lord, God, whatever, I'll go, whatever you want me to do, hineni. And, and, and I'm going to come back to that today because that has to be our, our, our calling. You know, hineni. Whatever you want me to do, God. Now... In week one, I just kind of talked about some mental pictures that we have of Moses. And if you're over 50, okay, it's kind of that Charlton, Charles Heston, Charleston Heston, you know that. Uh, I don't know if we have a picture. Do we have that picture up? We didn't get it up. Okay. Um, you know, but, you know, if you're over 50, you kind of have that Charlton Heston, you know, look. And you think about him. And, uh, and that's kind of in my mind's eye. And that's kind of how I see him. But if you're under 50, you probably remember the movie, The Prince of Egypt. And, uh, and here he is at 80 years old, and he still looks young. You know, and, and so you kind of remember that. But oftentimes, you know, uh, our images get in the way of reality. And Moses is a good example because most of, most of us think of Moses as this mighty hero. He stood up to Pharaoh. He led the people, the children of Israel, out of uh, uh, across the Red Sea on the dry ground. Uh, he received the Ten Commandments. He spoke to God, you know, and all those things are true. But there's another side of the story. And if you roll back to the beginning, uh, Moses was anything but a hero. Uh, when the Lord spoke to him, you know, he says, put on your shoes. I want you to go to Egypt and just go. And it was simple and clear. Moses had got a job for you. I want you to go. I want you to deliver the people. I want you to just go in there and just do what I say. The only problem is Moses didn't want any part of it. Have you ever had God speak to you? And it's like, yeah, Lord, I don't want any part of that. I don't want anything to do with that. And I think we're all guilty. And he had two objections. You know, he didn't want to go tangle with Pharaoh because he was the most powerful man in the world. But he had another objection. He says, I just don't think the people are going to like me. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. It's like, I, I, I'm not going to do that. Those people aren't going to like me. They're not going to accept me. And, and in short, he thought the whole idea was a disaster. Maybe God should look elsewhere. You know, you ever hear God just calling you and, you know, say, oh, God, somebody else can do it, not me. You know, it's like God says, no, you're the person I want to do this. And so that brings us to our text today. And we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. And I want you to go down to verse number 11. And, and let me just give you a takeaway for, uh, for all of this first, before I get to verse number 11. Here's the takeaway. When God calls, don't make excuses. Let's say that again. Okay, when God calls, don't 
make excuses. Now, how many in this room are good at making excuses? Okay. Yeah, I think, uh, I think a few of us. Uh, some people have it down. I remember when I used to work with the police department, we pulled someone over for a ticket, and you would not believe the excuses. I remember we pulled over, uh, we got a call for an accident that had happened at the top of a hill. And we got there, and the lady, she, she was just as plain as could be. And, um, and the, the road went up this, and there was a stop sign at the top. And she, what she did, she goes, sir, you know, I knew that I couldn't stop my stick shift at the top of the hill and started up again with the clutch. So I stopped at the bottom of the hill, and then I just ran up to the top and ran through the stop sign and had an accident. It's like, uh, lady, that's not going to work. But, I, you know, being a police officer, being a pastor, I have heard every excuse in the world. Okay, I mean, people just, I mean, they're just full of excuses. And so, uh, and before we jump into this text, I got to remind you that Moses is 80 years old. Okay, and um, you can hardly blame him for feeling like, you know what, I really don't want to do this. And it's not, you know, he has his objections and both were rooted in reality. And it's not as if Moses is making this up. Um, You know, he... He's not making it up. You know, Pharaoh wouldn't be glad to see him, and neither would the people, you know, the Israelite people. And so who could blame Pharaoh because, you know, he's getting free slave labor. And the second objection, Moses had every reason about how his brothers would treat him because last time he left them, you remember he killed an Egyptian guy, and, you know, then they, you know, called him out on it, and he runs out into the desert. And so he's kind of running from the law. And so I don't blame Moses for having his doubts. Uh, in fact, kind of uh, psychologists call it the imposter syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, which means you secretly feel that you're not qualified for your job. Has anybody ever feel like that? You feel like you're in over your head in this job. It's like, you know, and you're just faking it. You're faking it and you're just waiting to be exposed. You're hoping you don't be. And um, we've all felt that. And so Moses makes five excuses today. That he gives to the Lord, and uh, I think these are excuses that, you know, that we make, and he makes them why he's not qualified to do God's will. And I want you to see if these excuses resonate in your own life. Here's excuse number one, okay? I'm unqualified. Everybody say that with me. I'm unqualified. Now, I want you to go to verse number 11. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Now, the, the question is, was he unqualified? And the answer is yes. <laughs> he was. Quite honestly, from a human point of view, he's not the most likely prospect to go toe-to-toe with Pharaoh. After all, he'd been gone a long time, and uh, he had killed a man, and his reputation wasn't the best. And if you were picking a candidate to go head to t- head, ho- toe-to-toe, head-to-head with Pharaoh, it probably wouldn't be Moses. But in my notes, and I believe the Bible just really makes this clear, it is, but God. Okay? Everybody say, but God. Because that is the two words that need to be written over this whole story. But God. And that's the answer, because God's whole reply can be summed up in five words. And you're going to see it in verse number 12. He says, I will be with you. Notice that. God answered, I will be with you. 
And this is the sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you worship God at this very mountain. God says, I'm going to be with you. And some of you are wondering today, you know, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do it? You know, Lord, you're, you're calling me to do this, but I don't feel like I'm qualified. And, and God just gives you five words today of encouragement. He says, I, let's say it together, I will be with you. Moses says, I can't do it. And God's answer, you're right, but I can. Now, here's excuse number two, okay? You can write this down. They don't know me. And you see in verse number 13, it says, but Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? And then what should I tell them? Now, it's true. You know, he had been gone for 40 years, and when he left, things weren't in on the best of terms. A whole generation has risen up now, and they don't even know who he is. And um, if they heard anything about him, it would have been that he was a fugitive from the law. And he killed an Egyptian, he hid his body, and then he ran off from the desert. No one has seen him since. He hasn't been back to visit. Uh, no one has seen him. And so this excuse kind of contains a kernel of truth, but it's not their issue. The, the question is not, who are you? The question is, who sent you? You know, this kind of reminds me of a story from the days of Richard Daly. The father of Richard Daly, you know, not the son, you know, remember the mayor of Chicago. And um, in the olden days, you got a job at the city based on somebody knowing you. And one day this guy goes into the, uh, this certain office, he asked for a job, and, and, uh, and nobody knew him. And they said, who sent you? And he says, the answer came back, no one. And the man in charge famously replied, and this kind of came out in a movie later, we don't want nobody, nobody sent. And that was kind of the way it is. And it's a good principle to remember in spiritual matters. If you come in, in your own authority, we don't have any time for you. We want people that are coming with the anointing of God in their life. You want a pastor that's going to get up here that has the anointing of God in his life. You want, a, you want people to speak to you that have been in, in the presence of Jesus, that have been talking to Jesus, that have the anointing of God in their life. In chapter 3, verse 14, you know, he says this, and you'll notice that God replied to Moses. He said, I am who I say I am. Will you say that with me? I am who I am. And, and notice that. He says, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, this, this simple phrase, I mean, it's filled with a lot of theological, powerful stuff because he is personal, he is eternal, he is self-existent, he is the God of universe, he always was, he always is, and he always will be. I am he is above all things, beneath all things, behind all things, in front of all things. By him, the Bible says, everything is held together. By him, all things have their being. You know, without him, the universe does not exist. And I want you to think of it this way. According to his name, he is the essence of everything you need today. I am your strength. You know, I am your courage. I am your health. I am your hope. You know, I am your supply, your defender, your deliverer, your forgiveness, your joy. I am your future today. God says, I am. I am today. 
And God is saying to you, I am whatever you need today in your life. Do you need strength? God is there. You know, do you need power in your life? God is there. And God is saying to you and me, I am whatever you need, whatever you need, God says, I'll give it to you. He is the all-sufficient God for every crisis that we have. Does anybody ever go through crisis in your life? And so God says to Moses, go to the elders. Tell them what I've told you. They'll believe you. Go to Pharaoh. He won't cooperate, but I'll do some miracles. He will let you go. Plunder the Egyptians on your way out. Take everything that they've got. Ask for their gold and their silver, and they'll give it to you. Man, God is asking a lot of Moses, but he's saying, you're not going on your strength, buddy. He says, I am. Tell them, I am. I am is sent you, sent me. In other words, don't worry about your future. God has a plan that covers all the details, and I love that. Here's excuse number three, okay? They won't believe me. So Moses has another what-if question. Have you ever said, God, what if? What if this happens? What if this happens? And um, notice Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. It says, but God protested again. Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord has never appeared to you? And that's a very uh, possible scenario there. Very likely, in fact. Moses has a checkered past. You know, after being raised by Pharaoh's daughter, he was rejected by Egypt because he chose to suffer with God's people. And then he murdered that Egyptian, covered it up, and ran away. He's been gone 40 years. And now God is showing up in, in this burning bush. Remember last week? And he shows up and God says, you know what? Uh, go out there and say God showed up in a burning bush and he's telling me to come to you. And, uh, you know, how many Moses is just saying, no way are they going to believe that crazy story. Have you ever had God just say something to you and you, you just say, okay, um, I'll do it, Lord. And you just... and, and and yet, you know that if you do it, you might be look like a fool. I had uh, two uh, repair guys come to my house to work on something the other day at my house. And so God told me, he says, pray for both of them. Oh, God, why do you always ask me to do these things? You know, it's like, go to somebody else's house. And, you know, and, he, and so I'm just sitting there thinking, how am I going to get out of this? And uh, God says, pray for them. And so here I am. I said, uh, uh, guys, God just told me to pray for you guys. And, um, and I'm not leaving here until you let me do it. You're not leaving here let me, until you let me do it. I don't care what you believe. I know I'm supposed to pray for you. And so I asked the one guy what his situation is, and he's having some paternity issues. And the other one says, well, my wife and I just had a baby, and, and um, I would like God's help. So I said, stand up, both of you guys, stand in front of me right now. And here I am lifting my hands on them and praying over them and praying, God, you're going to touch these men. They're going to become men of God. They're going to rise up and they're going to do what you want them to do. God, you're going to make them to be godly dads. You're going to make them to be, you know, uh, righteous men. And I'm feeling like, okay, at first I felt stupid and then I began to feel righteous, man. They're lucky, man. I didn't have them on the ground, you know. <laughs> ready to wrestle the sins right out of them but you know what when you step out for God man God is always glorified 
And, you know, it seems like a foolish thing to do, but yet, you know what? I knew that God wanted them to be prayed for. you got to be willing to step out. Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, then the Lord asked, what is, in, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses says. Now, I, I just want you to know, we're just talking about a piece of wood here. You know, it was just a walking stick. We all go out in the desert and we find them. You know, it's like, okay, this is what I need for now. And, and then when we're done with our walk, we throw it away. You know, unless you really like it, you keep it for a while. There was nothing special about it. You know, Moses no doubt found it in the wilderness. Moses' staff was not ornate. It was probably the sort of staff that you just found in the desert, used it for a while, threw it away. And he told Moses to throw the staff on the ground. And then it turned into a snake. He says, let me just show you that I am who I am. Take your staff, throw it on the ground, and it'll become a snake. And it does. Now, God says, pick it up. Now, how many know it's easy to throw it on the ground? It's harder to pick it up. Okay? You know, do I pick it up by the tail? Do I pick it up by the head? And so... God has answered, you know, so God begins to talk to Moses in Moses' back and forth between God. And so he said, I have three things I want to prove to you. The first was a wooden staff, verses 2 through 5 in chapter 4, showing that God can work miracles with ordinary objects. The second one, God says, put your hand inside of your, your coat and bring it out. And when he pulled it out, it was white as leprous, you know, and it's like, Proving that God has the power over the worst disease. Some of you need to hear that today. You've gotten a bad report. You've heard heard a bad report about you. God still can heal. And even till that last breath people have, God can still heal. And he can even raise them up from the dead if he decides to. And then third, he turns the water from uh, from the Nile into blood which is going to become part of the first plague in verses 8 through 9. And this is God's way of showing you, showing Moses, I've got your back. As long as you do what I am telling you to do, I've got your back. And don't miss the original question. Moses asked, what if? And we all want to bargain with God. Anybody ever here, are you good negotiators? You know, you want to bargain with God? And something in us makes us slightly suspicious of God's motives in our life. Why do you want to do this, God? Why do you want to use me? You know, what, what's the story going here? And, and, you know, something is very suspicious. And we're saying, well, now, Lord, we, we all want guarantees. If I do this, and I, I was doing it the other day when I had those guys over. Now, God, if I do this, I don't want to look like a fool. Okay, come on. If I do this, you know, what if I get in trouble for speaking up for you at the office? Come on. What if I get in trouble for speaking up to you uh, for you at school? What if I volunteer to teach the ch- uh, Sunday school in the children area and all the kids are brats? No, that happens. You know, you heard the good story about camp, you know, the, all the blessings. and the, But I'm going to tell you, there were some brats. Seriously, you know, uh, oh, Lord, if I start tithing, you know, uh, am I guaranteed that my next payment is going to be taken care of? 
And, you know, it's, we, we negotiate with God. And Moses had the same problem that all of us had. He knew exactly what God wanted to do. It was perfectly clear. Moses, you're the man to lead the people out of Egypt. And that was his job description, the whole job description. Now, Moses' problem wasn't his knowledge. He knew what he was supposed to do. The problem wasn't his education or his family background. God had already taken care of that. His problem was fear. And I think all of us deal with fear. Well, Lardy, you know, I, I kind of get it that you're wanting me to do that. But he was afraid it wouldn't work out, you know, right? And that, you know, he, if he did what God wanted to do, what if it doesn't really work out? I'm going to look like a fool. Come on, anybody relate to that? And something could go wrong, like maybe, you know, Pharaoh could have him thrown into the Nile River with the crocodiles or the children of Israel would laugh at him. Or, you know, maybe he'd end up trapped, you know, by the Red Sea and can't get through. You know, I mean, that is a possibility. And it did happen. And Moses wanted assurance of the result before he took the first step. So he's out there by the burning bush, and he says, what if, God, what if to the Almighty, and we do the same thing? Come on. We do the same thing. That's why we hesitate to obey God. We're trying to do the what ifs to the Almighty. And when God calls you, I'm going to tell you, it will work out one way or the other. All the little what ifs are just a waste of your time because God's going to work it out. And as long as you're doing the what if, you're not obeying. You're negotiating. And some of you are good negotiators, and God says, quit negotiating. Just start obeying. Uh, you, you know, there's a big difference of just obeying, where we say, hineni. Everybody say, hineni. You know, trust in the Lord. Trust me, God says, just go. Just, just trust. And... Lord, I'm ready. You just work out the details. Negotiating means, says, Lord, um, you work out the, the details, and then I'll obey. I want to see the end result. But all Moses has to do is obey. All he has to do. If Moses needs a miracle, he'll get one. If he needs an answer to prayer on the way, he'll get one. Uh, he'll get whatever he needs as long as he obeys the Lord. And for Moses, there is only one issue. And only one issue only, will I obey God? I know I'm speaking to somebody today. You know, God's dealing with you about things in your life. And will I obey God? Here's excuse number four. I can't do it. Has anybody ever felt that way? Look at chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O oh Lord... I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm now, even though, uh, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. How, how many has ever used that excuse? Well, God, I'm not very good with words. You don't want to use me. You know, I I I I, I stutter, and I come on. Anybody? Am I the only one who gets like that? And. And I think he thought that the Lord would fix this problem. If I sign it for your team, Lord, you'll make me eloquent. That's the way. And we always, you know, have a plan. And, you know, okay, God, if I do this, then you're going to make me eloquent. And that's the deal, right, God? Yeah, did you hear me? And God's answer comes in the form of a question, verse 11. He says, then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides 
whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see. There's a lot in this. Is it not I, the Lord? And God says to Moses, you are inadequate because I made you that way. And your weakness is part of my plan. Do you get it? Your weakness is part of God's plan. And God promises to give Moses whatever he needs in spite of his weakness. And all Moses has to do is go and speak for God to Pharaoh. And the rest is up to God. All you have to do is just do it. And God says, I'll just take care of the rest. Here's excuse number five. Okay? And this is where a lot of us find ourselves. I don't want to do it. Does anybody ever get attitude in this room? <laughs> I don't want to do it. Sounds like some of your kids. Verse 13 and 14. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send someone else. And then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. And that's a, really quite a statement there. The Lord became angry with Moses. What about your brother, Aaron the Levite, I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He'll be delighted to see you. Now, at last, we get to the heart of the problem because God had called Moses, and he just flat out doesn't want to do it. No wonder God got angry. But even God has an answer to this objection because if Moses can't speak, Aaron will speak. And maybe Moses got stage fright. I don't know. Maybe he was a fast thinker but a slow talker. I don't know. But God's solution is he will tell Moses what to say. Moses will tell Aaron. And Aaron would be the public speaker. And Aaron must have been persuasive. He must have been a natural public speaker because he was, he was from the Levitical priesthood. And Moses, he says, you're going to be like God to these people. It's a workable situation, but it's not without problems. A few months down the road while Moses was talking to God, you know, Aaron's down below and the people are building a golden calf. And, you know, they're just doing their thing and Moses didn't have any control over it. Now, I want to go back to the staff just a minute because God said to Moses, what's in your hand? And he said, just a staff. It, it wasn't very beautiful. It's just a staff. You heard the sheep. And I want to just point out that God took the thing that Moses depended on and he worked a miracle through that. Because we all have gifts. We all have abilities. We all have talents. We all have handicaps and weaknesses. How many know that? You know, we have all these things. God is, some of you have doubts and fears and we all have those things in our life. And here's the thing, what the Bible says, we're just clay pots in which God takes and pours himself into and uses that's God's plan. He just He's not looking for these perfect vestals. He's looking for clay pots that he's just going to use for his glory. You know, he uses his power in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, For now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And it makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. 
Now, scholars, when they talk about the jars of clay, they were cheap, ordinary, everyday clay pots. The kind of pots that housewives would use for milk or soap, or they might use it even for a chamber pot. They were easily cracked, not lasting. And that's you and I. We have a bunch of cracked pots in this place. Isn't it true? And a pot has value if it's useful to its owner. It's not worthy by itself. But though it is cracked and scarred, you and I are cracked and scarred with our problems and our messes. And, and you know, eventually, if not taken and redone or reused, it's going to be thrown away into the, the heap outside. And, and God just says, I want to take every cracked pot, every broken piece in your life, and I want to put it back together again. I want to put it back together again. I have a, a plate in my office. And Margo, in the second service, I'd like to bring that out. But it's called Raku Pottery. And they take these cracked pots and they put it in the garbage bin. And they just let them sit there. And somehow the... The heat, the, you know, however they go through it, that when they pull it out, that the cracks, there's some repairs that take place, but they have these beautiful lines that go through it that God says for every person here today that you might feel like your life is broken, like your life has been traumatized, you've gone through stuff, we've all gone through stuff. And he says, but I want to turn it into a plate, a platter that can be used for me. And as I look at this pottery that I have in my office, and I, if you want to see it later, I'll have it out here. But I look at that and I say, God, that's me. Because I've been broken. But you took me and put me in the garbage bin. You put me in the fire. And look what it's turned out to be, God. A wonderful way to serve you through my brokenness. So we get to the end of our excuses. And God says to Moses, Trust me, I can do more through you than you can imagine. Make yourself available to me, and I will do amazing things in your life. So let me give you two quick applications here today, just as I'm closing. The worship team can come up. God has the same questions for you and I, and the first is, what is in your hand? Now, a staff might seem like much, but when you place it at God's disposal, it becomes a miracle. And everybody has something that is in your hands that you can work with. Your something won't necessarily be the same something your neighbor has or your spouse. You know, you might be good at writing or singing or care for the needy, or maybe you're good with your finances and you can help people. Maybe you have time to help others, or maybe some of you just have a green thumb, and I think, how do you do it? You know, I, 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 the dead, you know, the plants that these fake plants that we have here at the church, I don't even keep them alive. I mean, I, 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 I don't have it. There's some of you that are painters or architects, teachers, nurses, accountants, or administrators. Some of you have children or grandchildren, and, or, you know, that you're teaching. Some of you have... You know, you teach Sunday school, and I think, wow, I looked at all the leaders this week for VBS. It was absolutely amazing. 
Some of you know how to run the soundboard. God bless you guys back there or the cameras. I don't know how to do that. Some of you know how to program computers. Last week we had some um, computers or, you know, last week our whole system went down and all these computer techs, you know, while we were, you know, trying to get everything. Thank you. Isn't that beautiful? You can come up and look at it afterwards, and there's a little explanation of that here, but God takes all the cracks. And, and the thing that, from the heat, is this iridescent colors. He says, I take something that's not doing so well, and he, this is the, the raccoon part of it, is these iridescent colors. I'm going to take something and turn it into something that's nothing and turn it into something. You can come up and look at it. It's really quite um, interesting there. And, you know, all these last week we had uh, the, the computers went down, the, the cameras went down. We had backup everything last week. While service was going on, all these computer techs were under the, the table back there trying to plug this in and reattach this. And I'm thinking, God, thank you for them. And, you know, that list that I just gave you, you know, I mean, there's some kids in here that do TikTok videos that get more followers than I would in my lifetime doing stupid things. You know, it's like, you did that and you have a million followers already? And it's like, wow, you know. And I'm really glad to tell you that all the things that I just listed, I'm not good at any of them. You know, the only thing I'm good at is, is I get up here and I'm a hired mouth and you know, and uh, I just speak and hopefully it comes out and I pray and, you know, God puts the anointing with it. Some of you are so more um, talented and God is using you. Use it for your glory, his glory. And secondly, God will equip you with everything you need to do his will. Moses is the only person in history to whom God spoke from a burning bush. The only one. That didn't happen to Abraham, David, Joshua, Nehemiah, or anybody else in the Bible. And Moses had seen God's glory, and, and yet he comes to God and says, God, send somebody else. And no wonder God was angry with him. It's one thing to wait for God's confirmation, but while we wait, we ought to think and pray and read the Bible and consult with the wise counselors that we're doing our work while we're waiting. Because at some point, waiting becomes stalling. Are you guys with me on that? And there's a little of Moses in all of us. Don't make angry God angry when he calls you. When God calls Will we obey? When we read the word of God, will we obey? When we hear the word from the pulpit, will we obey? When we discover it in our quiet time, will we obey? When a friend gives us a piece of advice, you know, that we recognize from the Lord, will we obey? That's, that's one thing. You know, I can speak into people's lives, and there are some people don't tell me anything. I don't want to know. And I'm thinking, okay, whatever you say. It's a big step forward spiritually when we can say, Lord, I'll get involved. I'll stop sitting on the sidelines. Here am I. Send me. Hineni. Hineni. God, whatever you want to do, 
Just do it. Let's stand. service guys came into my house and my first response was oh god i'm sure someone else will minister but how you know when the lord's tugging at your heart it's just just you got to be obedient 
Here's the response of these really tough service guys that were at my house. I'm praying. The next thing you know, they're going. God wanted me at that time to be obedient. And I could have blown it up and said somebody else could do it. But you never know. You never know. How many would just say God's tugging at your heart on something today? Just, just raise your hand. God's tugging. I'm going to say if you would like to give your heart to Christ, I'll be down here. Some of the elders will be here. If God is tugging on your heart, saying God's speaking to you, uh, I would like to pray with you today before you leave. So when everybody else is going that way, you come this way. I want to hear what God is saying to you. And I want to pray for you. Good day. Let's lift our hands. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace. And together we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, God bless you. I'll be down here at the front. Some elders will be here. Have a great day. If you're new, stop by the info desk. And if you want to come and see this, you're welcome to come and look at this.